Let's give those brave couples a hand, right? So now you know. Now you know when the camera comes, okay? <laughs> Run. No, no, no. We, we, love, we love that. I uh, love sharing those things. And just wanted to celebrate uh, marriage. Um, and, that, and that's what this series is about, is that, that God intends us to be a loving Loving this married thing. And uh, so just a reminder, if you ordered uh, T-shirts or sweatshirts, uh, they are available. And so be sure to pick those up. They're out in the lobby today if you haven't got those already. And wear those loud and proud and support God's plan for marriage in the community. Um, we are uh, completing the series this morning and wanted to uh, just kind of let, let everybody know uh, the intention of today. So today we're going to be in Revelation chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, you're uh, welcome to turn there. Uh, you're welcome to follow along in the app if you cho choose to engage the sermon that way. Um, but today's passage is not a passage about marriage, but I feel like it has relational implications because really today's passage is about our relationship with Jesus Christ, specifically to the context, the church's relationship with Jesus Christ. But these principles also apply to marriage. And so I just kind of want to lay the foundation foundation for that this morning, that this is about relationships and it's going to focus on our relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, as uh, most of you all know, it's Thanksgiving week, right? Big week for uh, most everybody and their families. Maybe you got some families getting getting together. And so uh, just remembering uh, to be thankful this week and grateful for all that we have, for all that Christ has done for us. And it's a great, it's a great way to start the week by being in the word together, Revelation chapter two. So let's, let's read uh, this, this passage together. And actually, I'm going to back up just a few verses. Uh, we're going to be in Revelation two, just looking at focusing in today, honing in on verses four and five. But I want to give you a little bit of background to this. So here in Revelation chapter two, and also in chapter three, this is a, a part of the revelation. And just a little side note, this is a pastoral side note, okay? It's Revelation not revelations, okay? It was one revelation uh, to John while he was on the island of Patmos. And so it's one revelation all written together. And in chapters two and three, he's writing from this heavenly vision. He's writing this, this prophetic word about what's gonna happen in the future. And it's in chapters two and three, it's Jesus addressing seven churches. And so the one we're gonna be reading, reading about and, and our text is for today is actually this church in a place called Ephesus. Okay, Ephesus, that's the letter to the church um, in the book of Ephesians is written to this same church. And, and to just give you a little, a little uh, precursor before we get to, to verse 4, is this is what Jesus has said about this church in Ephesus. He says, um, I know your deeds. He commends them for hard work. He commends them for perseverance. And he's talking about perseverance of the saints over the persecution that has been coming against God's church. Um, he says, I know that you don't tolerate wicked people, that you care about the purity of the body of Jesus Christ. Um, he says that you have persevered, that you have endured many hardships. And so kind of starts out with this complementarian uh, message here about, hey, this church in Ephesus, these Christians in Ephesus are doing a great job and you, you, we commend you in all these things, your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance, all of these things. And then we get to our passage today in verse four. And he says this, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you 
and remove your lampstand from its place. The warning at the end of the passage there is these churches were were, uh, seen as lampstands. And he was saying the influence of you in the world and in the community will be taken from its place if you don't get back on track. There's three things from this passage that we must do in order to have happily ever after in marriage, but more importantly, just in life. And the first one is this this morning. Don't forsake your first love. Don't forsake your first love. That's where we begin there in in verse four. He says, yeah, I hold this against you. After all those commendations, he says, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. When I first read that and and thought about it and studied this passage, I thought, well, you've lost your first love. But no, the word there is much stronger in the original language. There's a reason that we translate it into English and we say you have forsaken your first love. It's not like you've lost it. we, We write songs and treat relationships that way. You know, the songs, the love songs. Dun, 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 dun. You know, you've lost that loving feeling. And now it's gone, gone, gone. Whoa, whoa, whoa. All right. We write songs like that because it's just a feeling, right? It's just a feeling and you've lost it. And then then that that is how we like to read this sometimes. Verse 4 is just talking about how you've lost that loving feeling for Jesus because you've lost the love feeling, but that's not actually what it says at all. What it says here is that I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. That word forsaken means that you have left, you have deserted, you have abandoned the love that you had for Jesus Christ at first. Now, the context of this is he's talking to the church, okay? Now, that's not some building in Ephesus. That's how sometimes we talk about the church. When we talk about the church, you think of like the building and the location of a building. You know, it's the church at 401 North Oakwood. It's Oakwood Christian Church, and that's the church. No, he's talking to the people. He's talking to the saints. And he says, hey, saints, hey, Christians, they gather together in my name to worship, to break bread, to fellowship, to proclaim the word of God. You have abandoned, left, deserted your first love, the love that you had at first. I think sometimes... As I said, translating this into other contexts, this happens in our marriage, right? Sometimes it feels like we have forsaken the love that we had at first. And maybe in those contexts, maybe the song reigns true that you've lost that loving feeling, but I think we all know, especially those of us who have been married for any length of time, that this marriage thing and this life and this love is not built on a feeling. The feelings will ebb and flow. The feelings will come and go. That's not what establishes a marriage that will persevere. You're never going to keep the feelings exactly the same. It's what's beyond the feelings. It's the work. You see, we, we sometimes don't do the things that we did at the beginning. And you forsake your first love. It doesn't just happen. So many times I think we say, oh, it just happened. We just, you know, I hear this sometimes. We just grew apart through the years. 
Yeah, that's possible, but it's because you're not being strategic about that relationship. It's not something that just happened. It wasn't happenstance or, or, or something that, that, that you had no awareness of. It seems like as every day passes and you feel further away from God or you feel further away from your marriage partner, that you actually get to the point where you can feel the distance. Sometimes we, we would like to look at that and say, oh, yeah, it is, it is about the, the feelings and it is about the love, but it's more about the commitment. And just like it says in the text here that you have left, abandoned, deserted, it is actually a choice that you have made. It's not something that just happened. Oh, you just lost it. Oh, like losing your keys, you just lost your love for Jesus Christ. You just lost your love for your spouse. No, 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 no. Let me be clear. You have forsaken your first love. You have deserted and abandoned them by choice. Now, I know that, that, that seems like, wow, that's ouch. I mean, you know, here we are, 1030 on a Sunday morning. A lot of places we could be, you know, it was cold this morning and I know Tom Rusty and I get here a little bit before 7. It's, it's really cold, and, you know, it's one of those mornings where you're like, man, I could have stayed in bed this morning, stayed nice and warm. I talked to someone in the lobby a little bit ago that walked to church this morning, and I'm like, man, I drove to church, and my feet were cold. I can't imagine walking to church this morning, how cold that it is. I mean, you're pretty dedicated, right? This, this isn't just something like, like, oh, yeah, I just, you know. But to actually have kind of a scathing remark here that, that you have forsaken. Hey, Ephesus, you have forsaken the love that you had at first. Hey, churches today, have you forsaken the love that you had at first? Hey, some of you lovebirds, have you forsaken the love that you had at first? But in the spirit of that this morning, I'd also say this, that I don't think that anyone intends, you know, there's like an intentional response to pull yourself away from God. I don't think it's an intentional uh, response to, to make your marriage miserable or to grow apart in your marriage. It's not like somebody sits out and says, hey, I'm going to see how I can tick off my spouse today. I'm going to see how I cannot honor them, love them, respect them, or care for them. I don't think anybody you know, sits out and is like, I want to see how far away I can get from Jesus today, you know? I mean, like I said, you're here. It was cold. There's a lot of excuses. Thanksgiving, we're busy with this and that. And there's a lot of reasons why we, we, we couldn't be here today. But you're here. And so I think for most of us this morning, we'd say yes. Yes, I, I, I don't want to forsake my, my first love. I don't want to abandon, desert, leave the relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't want to have this gap that I'm feeling in my married life. It's, you know, I, I, yes, I, I want to do what's right. Yes, I want to keep the fire going, if you will. Yes, I want to keep that closeness and that depth and that relationship. And most of us that are here today would say, yes, yes. And then we'd say, but how? It's easy to say yes, and sometimes it's the application of the yes that's the problem. Yes. Yes, of course I want to be close to my spouse, and of course I want to be close in my relationship with Jesus Christ. Yes, but how? The good news is it gives it to us right here in the text in the next verse. In verse 5 it says, consider how far you have fallen. That's the first step. And then it says, repent and do the things you did at first. So we need to consider we also need to remember what we did 
at first. First, we're called to consider. And notice it says to consider how far you have fallen. Consider what is wrong in your life. Consider what is missing in your spiritual walk with the Lord. You see, this is on a macro level for the church in Ephesus, for the saints, for the gathering, for the body of believers, but it's also at a micro level for all of the people that make up parts of that body. As scripture says, we are one body with many parts. All of you are a part of one body being the church at Oakwood. And so we have to consider this as a corporate, at a corporate level, but we also have to consider this at a personal level. Consider how far you have fallen. If you're not feeling close to God this morning, consider how far you have fallen, how far away that you may be. For some of you, again, applying this to a relationship in your marriage, consider how far you have fallen away in your marriage. Consider and think about the distance and the gap that you fill with your spouse and reflect upon how exactly did we get here. And then internally you say, what have I done to get us here? You think about this in your, your spiritual life, you need to consider how far, far that you've fallen away maybe in your commitments. So many times I think people struggle with this. They say, you know what, I, I feel like God is not evident in my life. I don't feel like I'm close to God. I feel like it's a struggle. I feel like there's this distance now between God and I. And it hasn't always been that way, but I just feel that way today. My question for you would be, who moved? Was God moving away from you? Or were you perhaps moving away from God? Is God moving or are you moving? Who's the one that is actually establishing the patterns that are maybe pulling you away? I mean, we all go through this phase, right? We call it the honeymoon phase. You go through this in your relationship with God and your relationship with his church. I mean, don't you remember what it felt like? The new church feeling? Maybe the first time that you gave your life to Jesus Christ and you joined a congregation of believers, you, you became a part of a family of saints that, that met at their location and all the excitement about that. I mean, we read about this in the book of Acts as the churches got together for the very first time, this gathering of the believers. It says that they focused on certain things at the end of Acts chapter 2. It says that they focused on the apostles' teaching, the teaching of the scriptures and the word of God. To the fellowship, koinonia, deep fellowship, like deep communication and connectiveness within the body of Christ. And to the breaking of bread, holy communion, and to prayer. That's what the church was focused on. And the caveat of that at the end of Acts chapter 2, it says, oh yeah, and 3,000 people joined their fellowship that day. And the next chapter you get three more thousand, five more thousand. In fact, by you just get a few chapters in the book of Acts, the church in Jerusalem, many scholars believe, is now running 20,000, the first megachurch, in just a few, really a couple months after Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And it's because they were dedicating themselves to these things. And this, this church in the book of Acts had no church history. They had no traditions. They didn't have that, we've always done it this way. What is prim and proper according to the culture? They had no wars over worship styles or favorite songs. 
Everything was focused on the gospel message. It was focused on sharing it with your neighbor, sharing it with your loved ones. And most churches in their infancy are willing to shelf all of the personal preferences to go after the gospel message. And it was spreading all over Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. And you know the story, even to the ends of the earth, even into Enid, Oklahoma. And it's because of the focus of the gospel, the focus on winning people and loving people and serving people, and remembering the purity of the call of the gospel to the Lord and his church. And for many of us, that's what maybe first attracted us to a church or attracted us to Jesus Christ. For those of us that are married, we might also consider remembering those things, remembering and not forgetting what it was like in the beginning when we were dating, when we went through that season where we were engaged and falling in love with one another at a level we didn't even think was humanly possible until we met this person. And we adored them and we treated them like a king or like a queen, like a prince or like a princess. In fact, we treated them so well it just won their hearts over and, and now maybe we don't do that well, that's not the focus of the relationship like it once was. But it says here to consider how far you have fallen away from that. And then notice this next part. It says that you need to repent and do the things that you did at first. We must not forget these things. You see, we must not forget. When you came to the Lord Jesus Christ, do you remember the special times of prayer? I mean, the times that you really prayed for the first time, because maybe to, up to that point, your prayers were like, God is great, God is good, thank you for my food, amen. You know, no, no, this was like real prayer. Like you really got on your knees and you cried out to God and you were walking with him closely and these conversations with the Almighty were happening frequently. Maybe you remember what it was like for those times. Maybe you remember what it was like when you first came to the Lord and the excitement of making that decision to dedicate and to hand over the reins of your life to your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you remember what it was like to taste the watery grave of baptism and to be buried with your sins and then raised to walk in newness of life? Do you remember what it was like the first time that you tasted Holy Communion and you took that bread and you took that cup and with all of the meaning of it, it meant so much to you. In fact, everything was meaningful for you in the beginning. You, the passion that you had, the love that you had for Jesus Christ, just the fact that you could picture him suffering on the cross of Calvary for a wretched sinner like you. For some of you, it was the newness of life, this thrill of hope that would come to you and you would say, you know what, because of my acceptance of Jesus Christ, I am made new. The old has gone, the new has come, I am forgiven. And because of that, I don't want to go back to that old way of life. Some of you were so moved in your repentance that it brought you to tears. And you wept when you came to Jesus Christ because there was that moment where you felt the weight of the sin in your life. And it became clearly apparent to you that I nailed Jesus there with my sins. It was my sins. It was my, my sinfulness and my thoughts that put Jesus on the cross of Calvary. And out of that time and that season, you had this gut, deep, gut-felt commitment and this excitement about the future because of who Jesus was and what he meant to you. Oh, he meant so much. Would you consider and would you remember? We must remember 
how it felt. We must remember what we did. The last thing this morning in verse 5 there, the, the other thing that we need to do is to do the things you did at first. I mean, it's just pretty clear there in the text. He says, consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. So really the action steps here in verse 5 are to consider, to repent, and then to do. The problem is we don't get to the do sometimes. Many of us won't even humble ourselves to the point of repentance. And you remember that word repentance. Repentance means literally to change your mind. It's as if you're going one direction with your life and you turn around and you repent and you go another direction. It's like I'm changing my mind in the direction of my life. I've been focused this way. Now I'm actually going to go this way and I'm going to change the focus and I'm going to change the direction of my life. And he says to that church, about their relationship with Jesus Christ, consider how far you've fallen, and then repent, change the direction, and do the things you did at first. What I was just talking about, all of these things that you've experienced. Go back to those times of passion. We need to remember the focus of the gospel. I remember the founding minister here at Oakwood. His name was Joe Wilson. I remember Joe Wilson said it, I would say say it once, probably said it several times. It stuck with me. It was a sticky statement that stuck with me through the years. I remember him getting up here on this platform and saying, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. What, he, what was he saying by that? The main thing, the gospel truth of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for you, the main thing is to keep what? The main thing, the gospel, the main thing, the center of your life. The center of your life should be focused on Jesus. And we need to remember the things that we did at first. We need to repent and we need to actually go back and do them. Not just remember them, but to actually go back and do them. To make Jesus the main focus of your life and the gospel that you so needed. And go back to that time when everything was alive and everything was growing and your life was changing. And maybe you were in the business of winning souls. And your life was focused on increasing in love and spiritual growth and knowing Christ more. And having this depth of faith that could not and would not be shaken no matter what this life threw at you. And being prepared in those times and with those things. I wonder for some of us, what did you do that made you marry your spouse that you don't do today? What did you do that made your spouse want to marry you that you don't do today, that you don't put into practice and you consider is still a struggle in our marriage? They married you at some point. They came to that decision in their life. They took vows of holy matrimony before God, first and foremost, and before family and friends. There was this time, there was this moment. What was it that got you there Remember, repent, and go back and do the things that you did at first. Focus on loving and growing in that person. Why did you stop loving and caring them, caring about them like you did at first? Why did you stop communicating with your spouse? Do you remember those days, folks? 
Do you remember those days early in your marriage? You just couldn't get enough of each other. I mean, you did everything together, right? I know, it was before kids, and so we had more time. You know, it was before bills and car payments and house payments and all of these responsibilities. When we got married, it was pretty footloose and fancy free. I mean, we went to the grocery store together. We went to Sonic together. We went on a picnic together. We went and watched a television movie together. We went to the theater together. We traveled. I mean, everything was together. And today, you have all these responsibilities, and so in my marriage, it's not the priority of this relationship. My priority is these kids and making sure that they have what they need and making sure that they're taken care of. And it's these responsibilities, these bills, and these things that I, that I own, and these things that I possess that require me to work more. And it's, it's, it's really about these other things, you know. And, and back then, I didn't, I, I mean, I had hobbies, but I'd rather spend time with her. And today, my hobbies are way up the priority list. I don't want, if I can go out and do my own thing, I am not going to spend time with my spouse. I got some other priorities. Do you see how it's changed? I wonder what would happen if you did the things you did at first. That might be some advice that would help a marriage because I know it'll help a spiritual life. A life that's maybe feeling dry, and pulled away from Almighty God is to repent and go back, remember those things, and actually put them into practice. This relationship with the Lord that made you fall in love with Jesus and appreciate his sacrifice for you. What do you need to do to fall in love with Jesus as your Savior again? I want to leave you with a couple of questions this morning. As we come into this holiday season, what do you need to do differently to rekindle the fire? Because what you're doing isn't working. You're not where you want to be. What do you need to do to rekindle the fire? And really, two, two points of application here. First of all, in your marriage... What do you need to do to rekindle that fire and that commitment in your marriage? And more importantly, in your relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, there's this correlation between the two. Because it's holy matrimony and it was God's idea from the beginning, you'll find out that a Christ-centered life with a Christ-centered marriage is a marriage that is statistically and evidentially, the most successful. Let me explain what I mean. If you have a man and a woman, and you have Christ at the center, and they both are pursuing Christ, what are they doing? They're getting closer and closer together. As they pursue Christ, they get closer and closer together. We, we read that in the week one, didn't we? Ecclesiastes, right? That a strand, that a strand or a, a cord of three strands will not be easily broken. We talked about a rope, remember? And there's a cord of three strands won't be easily broken. So many couples try to do the his and hers and, you know, 50-50 and all this kind of stuff. That doesn't work. It might work for a season. You might have a good couple of years, but then you can get 7, 10, 15, 27 years down the road, and you're miserable looking at each other, wondering what happened here. You need to pursue your relationship with God. Because when you draw closer to Christ, it's amazing how Christ's light becomes a magnet in your life, not only for other people, but for your spouse. Because they know your best version of you is a sanctified, Holy Spirit-filled, Jesus-walking relationship. 
And then when you have that kind of pursuit, guess what, folks? You're a lot more likable. <laughs> You're a lot more lovable. In fact, you start talking to your spouse differently. You start treating them differently. And it's this awesome, awesome thing because as you draw closer to Jesus, you draw closer to one another. But I'm here to tell you this morning, if you think you can do that backwards, it's not going to work. The best thing you can do this morning on an individual basis is to get back to the heart of this text to the Christians in Ephesus, which is what? Don't forsake your first love. You see, Jesus wants to be number one. Your spouse is number two. Your family and your other relationships beyond that. Jesus is number one. He is the center. Your spouse is number two. When you go after number one and you keep number one in the number one slot, all of these things will be added to you. You know what the, you know the scripture says? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you as well. All the people that you look around in your life, you're like, man, I want a marriage like that. I want a relationship like that. That's the difference is Jesus is one, their spouse is two, and as they both pursue Christ, they have this awesome relationship. It doesn't matter what comes against it. It's because they're focused vertically before they're focused horizontally. That's the call of this passage. That's the call of us as Christians and as Christ followers is to get our hearts and our relationships right with Jesus Christ. Because when we have that, it affects all the other relationships with humans in our life. 